And I'm your other host, Robin B. Big news, Robin, before we get into anything else. Oh, uh, okay. Kafka is in Honkai Star Rail officially now. Oh, yes. And uh, for everybody who's curious, I did get Kafka. I have Kafka. I'm a Kafka have her. I didn't even have to spend money, oh. which I was very much prepared to do. You're so lucky. I know. I don't know if you've pulled for her at all, but I just needed to I just needed to share my excitement that I have Kafka. Nice. I haven't yet. I'm trying to decide if I should. Why is that a question? Because I can just look at pictures of her on the internet. I'm 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 a pro gamer. I don't know if you know this about me. I am like <laughs> I'm very concerned about the meta. Mm-hmm. No, my actual concern is I don't want to spend all my Star Rail passes if they then introduce the other person who I'm looking forward to, and then I can't get her. Yeah, but the thing is, I don't remember her name. The woman with the blindfold? With the blindfold, yeah. Immediately desperately horny for as soon as I saw her. The thing is, the thing is, as far as leaks go, we know that 1.3, we already know the banners for 1.3. Oh, okay. And it's not going to be her. It's like right? Who is actually supposed to be good. Yeah. Her animations are killer. Have you seen the leaked animations? Yeah. Like, they're cool. I'm, I'm trying not to only pull characters based on thirst. And I think that, Fushuan is like just a, just a good design. I only pull based on thirst, I but I was very, very tempted by Blade for a second. Yeah. Because I thought Blade was good. I will say, uh, I don't know if you saw this, but one of our listeners uh, was complaining about not getting Kafka also because we tweeted about this. Mm -hmm. And then we liked their tweet about this. Then they pulled. And not only did they get Kafka, they got Himiko also in the same poll. No way. They got got the the girlfriends. I didn't know we had this power. That is so lucky. And I'm also like good for them, but also so jealous because I don't have Himiko. Damn. That's Mm -hmm. so lucky. Maybe I should pull for Kafka because if I get both of them, it'd be extremely funny. Yeah, it would. I'd be very sad. <laughs> so it'd be funny. It's okay. I'd just be like longing for Himiko, which is, you know, the true Kafka experience. You might enjoy that more. Yeah. But anyways, uh, outside of this little Honkai Star Rail, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I can't think. I have no, I couldn't Diversion? Sure. Side, side track? Whatever. Side piece? You know what I mean? Side piece. <laughs> Uh, so <laughs> so when you haven't been pulling for Kafka, the other thing you've been doing all week, and I've been doing all week, mm-hmm. is playing Baldur's Gate. Game. I have been waking up every day and I've been playing like three hours of Baldur's Gate before work. It's so good. I don't know the last time a game is like, like a big game like this has like hooked me in so much where it feels like, it feels like how it was when I was like, you know, in high school or something and i had no obligations and i could just like no spend life. yeah no life uh because i was too busy not getting bitches so i would just Same. play hours of rpgs and now i'm doing that again yeah i was thinking about that too like especially after right after like final fantasy 16 came out and people were talking about and i feel like it's been other games this year that i just can't remember because i don't care about them but people were talking <laughs> about how like obsessed they were with these various games and i was like getting kind of envious you know where i was like oh man it's been like it's been since elden ring since a game captured me in anything like that sort of way uh and then Baldur's gate came out and i cursed my own words because i'm so obsessed i can't as you can see i'm still not finished unpacking because i've been (laughs) spending too much time playing Baldur's gate (laughs) so since last week how 
like how much further into the game are you kind yeah. of like I, I'm, I'm sure we can like signpost basically where we're at yeah i think that's a good thing to establish because we will talk about spoilers if that's the thing you care about just so you know we're about to say how far we are and that's how mm-hmm. far the spoilers are going to go like we're not going to try to limit ourselves at all uh, to not talk about them so i have just gotten to Basically, last night, I finished up with the Grove. I got to the point where, like, the tiefling party all moves on. They come to mm-hmm. your camp. You have a really sad little party. Not sad, but it's just, like, No, very... I'll say it's sad because they build up this party. And I was like, yes. oh, I'm expecting some cool party. And then you're just at the camp. And it's so fucking lame. It's just like, it's when you're, it's like when you're at a party, but, like, none of your friends really know each other. So everyone's mm-hmm. just kind of having their own little conversations. Yeah. And then one of them who was recently turned into a devil is just staring out at the sea on his own but so i got to that point and then there was like an hour between when i got home from grabbing breakfast with a friend and when we started recording and i immediately started playing Baldur's gate in that time so i've entered the underdark Mm -hmm. and no matter which direction i travel i immediately get murdered by like horrible monsters so instead i went to the risen road which is where you also find my strong girlfriend and just so many gnolls and um i got to there's like a little town that's been attacked by drow and that's where i am like i'd stopped right there so like i don't know if that is that like the first act like i don't know if it's gonna give me actual act breaks or if people are just referring to these things by this so all i kind of have an answer for you based on where i am okay i am essentially at the end of act one which is basically once you get to uh so like after the party after you finish the druid thing um helson tells you like hey i have the next kind of like goal for us and there are two ways to get there basically you can go through like the mountain pass or you can try to find a different path through the underdark um which is like a whole other area in the first opening area of the game and essentially, once you reach an exit at either the mountain pass or through the Underdark, you'll get a prompt where it's like, hey, we're ready to move on to another area, but make sure you've, you know, tied up all your loose ends because next time you come back, you you might, things might have changed. Okay, and that's cool. essentially the end of Act 1. I'm a little further than you in the fa- in the way that, like, I haven't progressed to Act 2. Like, I haven't left the first area of the game, but I've... I've like almost fully explored the Underdark. Cool. Um, Like I spent a lot of time in the Underdark doing a bunch of shit and um, like kind of a lot of stuff on the surface level too, just going through a bunch of map or uh, a bunch of like side quests and stuff. Like I've, I think I've pretty much fully explored the, the like surface level map and most of the Underdark um, and done a bunch of quests. Like, I don't know how much of the surface you've done and stuff. So spoilers for all of Act One. Yeah, essentially. Cool. Which can be, you know, it depends on how you play, but like you could finish Act One if you're very quick in like five hours. That sounds if you really push, impossible. because all you have to do is like do the druid stuff, which there are some there are some simple ways to do that. Mm-hmm. And then you could just go through the like mountain pass because I'm so curious if anybody does go the mountain pass because I feel like you're cutting yourself off from so much content because the Underdark is like a whole nother level. Yeah, and the game clearly wants you to go to the Underdark. Like when you mm-hmm. talk to Halston, he's basically just like, well, if you're a fucking idiot, you can go over the mountain, get your ass cursed, mm-hmm. or you go to the Underdark, which is definitely not full of 
beholders and like mole creatures that will toss your entire party off a cliff the first turn of combat. So I want to talk about this because I want to know if you have the exact same experience that I did in the Underdark when you first got there. Did you go to the Underdark through the Defile Temple? Yes. So I'm going to assume what happened to you is the oh, same thing that happened to, to me. get in there? Yes, and I'll talk okay. about it. I'll talk about it later because I had to solve a situation, which is you go through the Defiled Temple, and when you come out into the Underdark after solving that puzzle, you end up in the, the like, Selenite outpost mm-hmm. or whatever it's called. And then there are two things that happen to you, and I'm curious as if this is what happened to you. You realize if you go out the front gate, there's one, a minotaur, and two, those like turrets. Mm-hmm. And that was, so I was like, oh, I'm not going to go that way because I, that will kill me. So instead, I'm going to go off of this convenient side path. I'm going to use my brain. And then I'm going to accidentally. Surely all of these petrified creatures yeah. aren't a signpost for anything. And then I'm going to get confronted by a beholder and immediately die. Yeah. This is, this is when I messaged you that I randomly found my way into a massively overpowered enemy and wiped. I was thinking about that. I was like, I kind of appreciate that you never have to. This is me like drafting a tweet in my head, basically, that I had no intention of sending. But like, I like that you never have to worry about whether you're underleveled for an area, because if you are, you'll be immediately slain by the most horrifying creature you can imagine. Yeah, Uh, I think that was such a fucking hilarious moment, though. Like, yeah. frankly, up until that point, I haven't I hadn't met a lot of like insane friction, but I didn't see that as like a bad thing when this happened and it just got wiped. I thought it was absolutely fucking hilarious. The only other time that happened to me before that was um, actually I went to the Risen Road like way too early because it like there was a map marker that showed me that I could meet Carlac if I went there. So I was like, we're you going there first. everything else and you were like, yes. I know where I'm going. I was like level two and I went there and I did recruit Carlac, but I also ran into the Knolls for the first time and they just instantly tore me to shreds. <laughs> like it, I, I never stood a chance. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I did the same thing that you did. I snuck out that side door and got hit by the beholder. But after that, like I was like, okay, so clearly I can't go that way. But when when I was playing the that Minotaur that was outside, this probably happens for everyone, like charged the gate mm-hmm. and got zapped by the artillery. So I was like, okay, well, I know that's going to happen. And now that mentor is not there. So I just like lockpicked the gate and then just put dash on everyone and just ran through it and like got, you know, lost some HP or whatever, which um, is a good thing to do, actually, because you get a fucking sick sword. If you go that way, you can. Maybe you missed I it. Um, I got a sword that like stings to you and gives you basically your whole party bardic inspiration. Uh, essentially it's really cool it's basically like it's a sword that's built for a bard because it's like has finesse um and it has this like i should go get this like group buff it's really really cool but right after that i was like just going down the like the path into the underdark and there was it just put me into combat and there was like a like a thing in the ground that looked like it was like rocks it's like burrowing some kind of burrowing thing that happened right under my it happened right under my main character so she immediately gets knocked prone and so i took another character over there to like help her back up and that character got knocked prone so then i had to do this weird chain of like everyone trying to help each other up and just falling over it was like extremely slapstick Mm -hmm. for a while and then the first turn that the like thing got this like 
horrible mole creature pops out of the ground. And because everyone was like right where it popped out, it flung everyone off to the sides. And we were on this like walkway. So my entire party just flew off in different directions and and fell like 700 feet and instantly died. It was extremely funny. I think the Underdark is really cool because uh, there is a difficulty spike when you go to the Underdark in the manner that like the surface level is not aggressively like anti-player like you can basically just walk around the map on the surface level a lot of the times and like not run into too much conflict and there's more ability to get away from it in the underdark it's like everything wants you to die because you can run into beholders you can run into the mole things and minotaurs and i don't know if you've encountered like all the mushrooms and stuff i was gonna say i had this exact thought where i was like oh that's what this zone is gonna be when Mm -hmm. i when i found this mushroom yeah, there's another, uh, there's something you haven't gotten to yet, so I won't like talk about it in too much detail, but there's another, there's like a tower that you find in the Underdark, mm-hmm. and it's surrounded by arcane turrets, oh, no. very similar to the Selenite outpost. And yeah, I did the same thing where I was like, I want to get inside this tower. The only way I can do that is if I cast dash on everybody and I just beeline it inside and then immediately just take like a short rest. Mm-hmm. It was hilarious. The mushrooms also are very funny, though. There's like there's one on the path that I was taking, but it like it shoots out these spores that give you a condition called befuddled, which Mm -hmm. just makes you run in a random direction while you're like and laugh, which is extremely funny. Um, So, yeah, I'm very excited to see like all the ways that it fucks with you. Like it's it's just Mm -hmm. it becomes Dark Souls at that point. It's just like, what's the funniest way to fuck with the player? Yeah. The Underdark is also like such a cool design. It's a very, it's very pretty. All the mushrooms are so pretty. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so there are other ways to get to the Underdark. And something that I found out because I was like, I want to try to find other ways down here because I feel like if I'm going to leave the Selenite outpost, I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I need other options. And then because, you know, I've played fantasy games before. I remembered that in there's... I think it's called the Ruined Village or something. It's where you meet those ogres. Have you did Is you it, encounter those? Like on the way to the goblin camp? Like the yes. goblin village? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's a well in this little town. Yes. You can climb down the well and you enter this like cavern area and it's full of spiders like these giant spiders. And if you keep walking long enough, you'll find this area that has like a huge ass spider that's like basically an optional boss but it's surrounded by webs and then there's just a giant hole in the ground and i was like i don't know how i want i i don't know if i'm gonna get back to where i started and i really don't want to fight this boss Mm -hmm. so instead what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna cast feather fall on my entire party and i'm just gonna jump down the hole and hope it works out yeah and i ended up just in a completely different area of the underdark nice so i got to that that like spider cave a different way if Mm. you don't go down the well there's another way you can reach it through like basically a necromancer's uh secret lair that's hidden in that village um and there was an item in that in there that i needed that is directly beneath the that 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 spider matriarch so i'd gone in and i fought a bunch of those phase spiders and they like fucked me up but i beat them and i you know was like on death's door 
And then I saw the item that I needed like directly below the matriarch. And I was like, okay, well, I push this far. I need to at least try to figure it out. And I tried a couple of different things. And the way that I was finally able to get it was I had Gale cast Find Familiar uh, and take the form of a cat, which can like distract enemies. So I had the cat sneak erect, like behind the spider boss, distract the spider so it would look in that direction. And then I had my main character cast Mage Hand and go get the item I needed and come out. And then we just fucking ran. But yeah, that's cool. So I, I like got there. I didn't realize that I could, that I was like basically at the Underdark at that point. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I'm curious as to like, what is your party that you've been running with? So I pretty quickly settled on. So the, the first little bit of the game I was running with Lazel, uh, Shadow. Because you kind of have to when you start. Yeah. Like Even you just she's have a her. Fucking asshole. I fucking uh, hate her. She sucks. Um. She could choke me though. Uh, Shadowheart, <laughs> Gale, and then I met Will. Is that his name? It's spelled a Y. I don't know if it's supposed to yeah, be. Yeah, or... there's a dialogue off. There's actually dialogue. I think it's at the party some night or something, <laughs> or just at the camp where t- I, two of your party members will be talking, and one of them is Will, and the other party member will be like, "So it's just spelled with a Y." <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> um, so I tried him for a little bit. But he felt a little too similar to my main character because I'm playing as a bard mm-hmm. in in that he's like a hybrid magic and physical damage dealer. I just didn't really have much utility for him. Like I needed someone at the front line, which is why I stuck with Lazel. And then the second I got Carlac, I was like, you got it. You're you're sticking with me. So she God, I love her so much. It was also funny because I was like you know, into Shadowheart at first and was like talking to her and going through all of her dialogues. And then the second I picked up Carlac, I have not spoken to Shadowheart since. How dare you? I it's think just, it's so funny yeah. though. Uh, we'll get into this later because this is going to be a separate like section of this conversation. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, I mean, yeah, Shadowheart and Carlac are like top tier. They're the best girls. Yeah. It's so funny when you meet Carlac. Did you have Shadowheart in your party when you met Carlac? Mm-hmm. And Shadowheart is like, she looks strong, like she could carry me around. <laughs> yes. I'm pretty sure he took his green shot of that. I was like, oh, man. Yeah. And you're I like, she, absolutely. She could do all kinds of stuff to me. Yeah, you get it. But yeah, so for me, I, for the longest time, I had uh, Lizel, Shadowheart, and Will, because they're like the first three that you really meet very easily, hmm. at least the path that I went. I actually met Gail before Will, which is why I had to. So I, yeah, I didn't. And I actually had to. I spent a lot of time in this game without picking up the rest of the companions. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, I should probably do that. So I went back when I was like exploring the rest of the map and I picked up Asterion and I picked up. Oh yeah. I literally forgot he was in the game. Let me tell you, I know this is, we're not the audience for this, but like, I don't like Asterion. Everyone who's into men is into Asterion that I've seen online. I'm just could not care any less about him. There is one thing that made me almost care about Asterion. The fact and it's that not he gonna can shock you. you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It would be hot if he wasn't who he is. I bet I could get Carlac to bite me. <laughs> that first encounter in the camp when you like Asterion is like, sorry, I'm a vampire. And then you're like, you could bite me. I'm like, yeah. ooh, oh, almost. I'm so close to liking this. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so then I got Gale and um Asterion. Asterion has never once been in my party because nope. I just can't stand him. But so I immediately switched and then I got Carlac also. So now the party that I've been running with is like, I'm a bard. 
And then I have Gale. I've been really using Gale and like, cause I've also been picking up so many scrolls around and I'll just give them to him and just learn the spell. So I just have all these crazy yeah. spells. Scrolls are like finding a scroll in this world must be like finding a penny on the ground here. Like yeah. you don't even bother to stoop. Like they're just everywhere. Yeah. I don't know what happened, but scrolls are in every fucking vase and sack and jar you find in the world. Yeah. And then I have Carlac, obviously, as like the close up melee, like heavy damage mm-hmm. dealer. And I gave her like um weapon mastery or something. So she can use like most weapons. And she also has like a bonus action where he she can just like wreck the shit out of people. Yes. And then um Shadowheart. I've kept Shadowheart in the party. Nice. Uh, and that's who I've been running with. For um for Carlac, what specialization did you take? Like when you get a subclass. What is it? It's like the like the elk. Okay. Or so you went yeah. with like the animal the wild heart. I think it's yes. called. I went with Berserker, which is like the most normal barbarian type mm-hmm. subclass, which is like enhances your rage, but it gives you an ability that lets you throw things as a bonus action to do damage. And my favorite thing has been you can pick up creatures so if i'm in a fight i will just get real close to them with carlac mm-hmm. do an attack and then just pick them up and throw them at, at another enemy and it's just probably not the most effective strategy but it does make me laugh every time so i think it's worth it the thing that i've really liked about my specialization for carlac is that her like special ability that she gets is that um she uses an ability that basically puts her into a rage but it also extends her movement Oh, by like yeah. an insane amount so whenever i get into combat i just can rush her into the middle <laughs> and then i just wreck shop in like one move it's incredible she's so good i love her so much yeah what are the things you've like most enjoyed that you've encountered in the game so far just like story elements or like areas yeah fuck what was i just doing the other night i was i was doing something that and i was like oh that was fucking cool as hell God, there's there are a lot of them. Well, I'll say early on, like a very a very small one is um, that I was like going to text you. I was like, here's how I spent my morning. It was like at the the Druid's Grove. You can go mm-hmm. onto the beach and find that little boy who's being like controlled by the harpies. Yeah, yeah. Which is like an insane. It was a very difficult fight when I went there because I was like too low level. And so I helped him and then he showed me his like his hideout of him and the other children where they were basically like running a burglary ring out of this cave so i like saved this child's life and then immediately went to their cave hideout and encouraged them to become bandits and then i funded them so they could start their own thieves guild and i was just like i feel like i'm not the best role model for these children like i will keep you from getting eaten by harpies but i will also turn you into criminals for my benefit yeah for me the two things that i really love that i've encountered so far is uh meeting Raphael which do you know have you met Raphael? yeah how did you how did you meet him so i was just like wandering about and i found a chest that was up somewhere and i went to go get it and then while i was like going up to get the chest he just appeared and he was like let's chat i think he's really interesting i'm excited to see if he comes back and like how to deal with this me too it's this game has tempted me so much to like take the dark path yes it's very because i want to so bad like i like because so Raphael is a demon that you meet and he's essentially like hey if you make a deal with me i'll like cure you of your parasite 
And obviously I'm not a fucking moron, so I wasn't going to do that. Mm -hmm. But I really, I'm so tempted because this game so far has proven that you can do so much that's like outside of what you would expect. Yes. Really want to. I will say, I think that's one of the really good things about it is like, it is very good at actually making the dark path like attractive. Whereas Mm -hmm. I feel like games that have this kind of like a more black and white morality system, like Mass Effect or like KOTOR or whatever, there's really not much of a reason to choose those things because it's just like, will give you different options. Whereas if you go the like Boy Scout path, it'll just, you'll also get more options. But here it's like, you can use the tadpole to like read people's minds and control their thoughts. And like, you can make a deal with the devil and it will make you more powerful. Like the things that you get for doing the like quote unquote bad things are actually give you a huge advantage. So it's not like it doesn't have to tell it doesn't have to make you make those choices. It just gives you the player reasons to take them, which I think is so much more in line with like good role playing games. I actually this reminded me that I really want to talk about the parasite Mm -hmm. and the dream weaver or is, is that what their name is? The dream weaver. Is that like your person? You're like your person, like person? when you your guardian. Okay, yeah. yeah, I think that's what they're called technically. Oh, I don't remember. Um, I want to talk about this because how often have you been using your illithid powers, and like, what's your read on the situation? I don't know if I have a read. I I've been trying to avoid using them, but there have been times like sneaking into the goblin camp. There were a couple times where I had to use it. Well, I guess I didn't have to, but if I used it, I could convince goblins to like basically work for me. Uh, and I used it then. There was also another time where I was fighting a pack of gnolls, and one of them was like the like matriarch of the gnoll clan. I was again like it was just like there's like thirty five gnolls, so, like there's so many of them surrounding me, and I was getting my ass kicked. And when I, I I was able to like talk to the matriarch of the clan. And I could use the illithid power to convince her to join my side and attack the rest of the gnolls. And I used that as well because it was like, well, I, you got to do what you got to do, you know? So I've been avoiding using it, but I've also... Doesn't sound like it. I've also been <laughs> using it. <laughs> yeah. I've, I'll say I've been trying not to use it for like just willy-nilly. It's been mm-hmm. like if someone, if I suspect someone is like bullshitting me, I'll read their thoughts and only if I really need to will I use the like domination stuff. Yeah. So I think I'm in an interesting situation where I kind of I gave myself like um, a benefit for this because my character is so high charisma mm-hmm. and I also have detect thoughts that oftentimes I can like convince people very easily even read their thoughts sometimes without having to use it. So I've been avoiding it, but I used it once at the goblin camp and you get this dialogue that's like, you used it, but like you might've, you, you feel yourself change and you've lost something, but you don't know the effect. And I was like, I'm never going to fucking use this again. And then it was scary. I will say like on the, you're like champion or whatever they are dream i'm just gonna say they're the dream weaver because that's what in my head i think they are even okay. though i might be completely wrong but uh i think their introduction is really neat because it happens really naturally yes because it just the first time you meet them is whenever you take a long rest for the first time so i like took my long rest and then i had my dream where in my you know game she shows up and she was like 
oh yeah, you're, you know, you have the illithid parasite, but like you're special and it's unique. And like, I need you to keep using it so that we can fight this fight. And I was like, absolutely do not trust you. Mm -hmm. You are the villain. I will never fucking do what you say. Not happening. I don't trust her at all, but I, I do kind of want to push that anyway. Like I do kind of want to play as someone who does trust her or Uh who at least sees that as enough of an excuse to use the power. Yeah. You know, I just know I'm going to get to like act three and it's going to be like, you've been using the illithid parasite like a lot. Mm -hmm. You're going to lose like a bunch of this or something like. I think that's a really cool tension um, because it is like extremely suspicious, Mm -hmm. but it's also not like I don't think it's signposting it too much. Mm -hmm. Like the thing she's telling you is straightforwardly like that sounds fucked up, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's not like there's like evil music that plays when she shows up or whatever. I've also been. I have like really hard been trying to see if there's a way to get rid of the parasite Mm -hmm. because that's like that's your overall mission that they just kind of give you from the beginning. They're like, cure yourself. And there's a bunch of people that you can find that kind of tell you they can and you can take it pretty far. Yeah. Like um, one of my favorites is uh, there's the like uh he's like the storyteller guy he's not a bard i don't think oh but he's yeah, like he's a, a bard volo oh he is a bard volo and i don't know if you've done this but he's like oh i can try to cure you mm-hmm. did you do this i didn't let him do it but i let okay. him i got far enough to find out what he wanted to do to me and i was like <laughs> let me get a second opinion i let him go full do you know what happens full penetration full pe- <laughs> okay so i'm gonna tell you what happens basically yeah. he's like I'm going to be able to like cure this. But basically what I have to do is I have to like put a needle into mm-hmm. your eye That's and behind I your no, socket. I let him. And if you let him, he's like, oh, it's not working. I mm-hmm. have to upgrade to an like an ice pick. And you can be like, <laughs> go for it. And I was like, let's see where this goes. Mm-hmm. So I let him and he keeps going. And eventually your eye pops out. And he's like, oh, fuck, this isn't working. It's just like receding too much. It won't do it. Uh, sorry about your eye, though. Here's a re- here's a replacement. And he gives you a replacement. That's a magic eye. And what? you get a perm and you get a permanent buff where you can see invisible creatures within 10 meters. Fuck, I need to go let this man fish around in my fucking skull. It's that so rules. wild. And there's stuff like that. So one yeah. of my other favorite things that i've encountered and i don't you you've encountered this have you encountered ethel yes okay i just want to say this is some wildermyth shit this is what Mm -hmm. i was talking about last week wildermyth is so good at giving you these big changes Mm -hmm. i'm so happy that this game does it i encountered her and then i found out what her deal is and i have not like confronted her about did you so when you get to the like, I forget what it's called, because they call it like the the pretty sunshine, no yeah. trouble forest. <laughs> when you meet this the old woman getting no harassed. Yeah. yeah. Um, and eventually you have to roll a perception check that just happens. Did you pass that then, I assume? Yeah. Well, I'd also talk to those two guys on the road whose yeah. sister was missing. And like, I got her to basically like give up her secret at that point Mm -hmm. but then i did also pass that check to realize that it's like a really fucking shitty it's like a shitty bog and it's like terrifying the thing that i wish i had seen but i didn't see it at this point is if you see the like good version of this map there are sheep that are roaming around Uh 
but those are just the red caps that nice. you see in the actual map and they're just <laughs> pretending to be sheep that's amazing and it's really funny because if you pass the perception check to like see through the illusion of this whole area they'll pretend like they're sheep still oh, because that's they don't why they say bah they don't know that you see through it so God. if you don't attack them they just won't bother you okay i was so confused i was like mm. why are they just saying bah is yeah. this just what they do that's very funny i've gone through the whole ethel quest and stuff um that's one of my favorite things i've done is like cool. following through the whole ethel thing it's and i haven't s technically still finished it because like however you end up like dealing with ethel um there's like some fallout that you have mm. to deal with and i'm on that still i do want to go uh so the, the one of the other people you can talk to to get your parasite removed is uh the priestess at the goblin camp oh yeah did you deal with her at all i did i uh let her put me to sleep <laughs> you drank the sleep potion and then what happened with you you wake up and you're like in um a different area of the map and she's like i'm i want to kill you <laughs> <laughs> and then i just had to like i had to get my party i had to like figure out where it was and so here's why uh my character is not going to be able to not make a deal with Raphael. Oh no. Because I did that too. I let her like give me the brand and then I followed her into the room where she was gonna like do whatever to remove the parasite. I refused to drink the potion because I got like a check and realized what it was. You knew it was the same, but I was like, I'm just gonna go with it. <laughs> I could use a nap. Um, but she just puts you to sleep with like magic if you don't. Mm -hmm. And so I woke up in that same thing where you're like chained up and you have like a couple of different ways to break out. I tried both of them, failed both checks. And so she was going to kill me. And then this insanely hot warlock opens a portal into the room, kills the priestess and says, I'm Raphael's apprentice. Now you owe him one. And then what? disappears. <laughs> Yes. Are you serious? Yes. It's so fucking cool. That's incredible. Yeah. So had now, you, so had you met Raphael at that point? I had. I had met him like okay. on my way into the goblin camp, mm -hmm. or on the way into that like that temple. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I like just met him like fifteen minutes earlier, and I was like fuck you i'm not making a deal with you and then immediately got captured and had to have him save me and was just like all right so i guess i'll let me know when you want me to pay you back that's so insane that's awesome <laughs> it was very cool i'm like really excited to see more about the demons and stuff because i yeah. assume we will because there's a lot that has to do with them like carlac's story has to do with them mm -hmm. will's story has to do with them and Raphael's around i feel like you're definitely so. going to avernus at some point yeah um, like it's just gotta happen Mm -hmm. um yeah that was like uh, one of the more fun parts for me actually was like going through that whole sequence because that is what also like gets you down to the underdark and then going through the the process of like killing all the goblin leaders like i really liked how you could take a very different approach for all of them heard that weird thing happened uh with minthara i just cast old person on her and they just beat the shit out of her <laughs> with, with I, everybody else i snuck up on her and i just pushed her off the little bridge that she's by nice see that's what happened for me with like the goblin 
king or whatever, like the leader of them, mm-hmm. there's like a huge group of goblins around him, but they're all arranged around this pit with like giant spiders in it. And I just walked up with Gale and positioned myself so I could thunder wave. So I knocked three of them into the pit right away. And then the next turn, I just walked over to another group and just kept them shoving them. Thunder waved again. Thunder waved again. Oh I my got God. rid of like almost all of them that way. That's hilarious. The way I did that fight is I snuck to the rafters above them. I positioned all my magic users up there. And like with Gale, I used um, Shatter, which is like an AoE one. Oh, yeah. And I did that. And then I just sat up there and I just <laughs> picked them off. And when they would try to climb up, then I would just shove them <laughs> off. <laughs> shove is, I've seen tons of people making this joke, but it is the mm-hmm. best ability in the game. Especially can- like... Put Karlak in your party and then just use shove because she yes. passes like almost every athletics check. It's so good. Like it, it's extremely effective. It's a bonus action and it's funny as fuck every time mm-hmm. you use it. Yeah. I do want to talk though. Um, what are the things that are not working for you? Like what, where do you like have friction? Where are you seeing things where you're like, yeah, okay. Well, like why is this game not the 10 out of 10 that some people are saying it is? I think one of the biggest things is that there's it's there's a very like it's on the razor's edge about this. And I think it goes either way often, but it deviates way too much to like be good all the time, which is. I like the idea that Baldur's Gate 3 is a game that tries to replicate the D&D experience of having a good DM who just kind of is go with the flow and wants the story to progress And I think the first week that I was playing this game, I was very much like, oh, failure can be very fun in this game because you can find yourself in cool situations that are unexpected. And, you know, I like that this game isn't about the, you know, the, the golden path of like you have to approach situations the correct way to progress. I think, however, that that freedom, while oftentimes there gets bogged down a lot by the inherent like not bugginess but inherent like kind of just flaws of it being a game where you can't put your trust in it all all the time because there's too much like possibility like um you can just miss click things sometimes like i i am someone who's been like avidly saving because like Mm -hmm. you can accidentally attack people and fuck yourself so much um Like you can attack like friendly NPCs and you'll find yourself in a bad situation. Oh, one of the things that happened to me that I was like so happy I had saved um, because this happened is Gail's whole quest is that he's like, I have to consume. Did this happen to you? Do you know what I'm going to say? No, it didn't happen to me, but I think I know what you're going to (laughs) say. He's like, I consume magic items um, and that's how I like need to live. So I need you to find me like a powerful magical item. Um, and obviously, like, there's a story thing where he wants to, you know, eat the one that, like, Shadowheart has or something. Um, but so he does that. And I was I had just done a bunch of stuff in the Underdark, including this, like, one area that has a, a shit ton of, like, magic items that you can get. So I had all these magic items. And I was talking to him in camp because I was just trying to, like, talk to everybody and get their dialogue. And then I saw that he was like oh, you can give me stuff if you want to like consume. And I was like, oh, perfect. I'll like, you know, kind of feed his hunger and like give him some items so that 
he's happy. So he doesn't need to like go after the artifact that I have. So I tried to give him some powerful items of mine that I like didn't need. And then I donated to them, them to him. And then he, and then immediately I got into this dialogue where he was like, this is not what I need. You're like being like, you're being completely unhelpful and I am done with this and I am done with you. And then he just disappeared. And then I got a dialogue that was Gail has left the party permanently. What the fuck? Yeah. He was so unhappy with me that he was just like, I am done and I will, I'm done with you. So oh he my left. God. I thought you were just going to say you like gave him something you didn't mean to. No, which would absolutely fuck me because Gail had, has become like one of my main characters to use. It was Holy insane. Shit. Yeah. And I was like, I had no way of knowing this would happen. And yeah. that was like one of those things where I was like, this is just a flaw of the system that like, there was no way you could know this was going to happen. So I was like, thank God I had a recent save. Yeah. I think that is something that is like basically an unsolvable problem for games like this. Where like, yeah, if you were trying, which, which I'm not saying to like defend it, like I'm saying like it <laughs> is a problem. Like if you're trying to emulate a tabletop experience, the thing that like that defines that is like being able to to tell this story uh, collaboratively and to like bounce ideas off other people and to like just take things to to their conclusions, like to fail forward is often like the phrase that people like to use in, in that way of like, failure doesn't mean you lose. It means something more interesting happens. But I think there are like, there's hard limits to that with a game. Like they're just, there's, you the game can only do what you programmed it to do. I was thinking about this in the goblin camp where when you're, when you go after the like boss of the goblins, he's at like a feast with his followers. And I was like, oh, well, the thing you would do in a tabletop game is like drink with him and poison the drink. You know what I mean? Like that would be the thing. And there are just all these other circumstances where it's like, oh, well, the thing you should do is like convince this person to do this or go here and here. But those just aren't things that are available to you. So I think in a weird way, like the more that games try to emulate that experience of the tabletop, the more it exposes the natural limitations of a game. Uh, and the way that like you just you just can never emulate that. And I think when those things come into conflict, it gets really frustrating because there are so many other options. Like there's mm-hmm. so many ways to go about so many different things that when you come up with a clever solution that the game doesn't allow you to follow up on, it seems really disappointing. Whereas in a game that's not trying to do that, you're just like, well, that's just not how the game works, you know. I think um like my my biggest kind of takeaway at this point, having played like much more of it, is it's like err on the side of caution of constantly be saving because yeah. you'll get into these situations, yes. but don't preclude yourself from letting yourself fail because you might find something really cool that you're going to want to roll with. Like, yeah. I like you would never have found out that whole Raphael's like apprentice thing. I wouldn't have figured out that you can get a, you know, eye that lets you see invisible creatures because yeah. it's like you don't want to you wouldn't we're not as gamers like trained to want to like see what happens when you get into bad situations Mm -hmm. but like you're saying like a game can only do so much so you don't want to fuck yourself so you need to like you need to be cautious and y'all that's the thing is like there are you could maybe like if you don't fight this enemy you don't get this item that would like work really well with you or be really fun whereas Mm -hmm. in a tabletop game your dm would just go like i'll just give that to them later like i'll give it to somebody else so I think there's like a category of problems I have with this game that is about like that emulation. I think the other category of problems that I have, and this is like a very minor one, but it's just like this game has the problems that all Larian games have had, which are just like mostly AI based, like party members will 
100% of the time walk through fire or acid if it's available to do so. You can discover a trap and then everyone and then will walk into it anyway. It. Oh like that God. kind of stuff happens like literally every time I encounter either a trap or like a thing that they shouldn't be walking through. They just always want to be in it. Also, just like people not responding in the way you want to. Like there was a point in, in this game where I like had found out that Kaga the like lead dru- head druid was up to some shit but there was no way to like tell anyone about that or like do mm-hmm. anything with that information until i finished this like other leg of the quest so just things like that where it's like people don't respond as they should or you you know just like solutions that should work don't it is buggy and it, that does get annoying mm-hmm. i've also had times where i get like trapped places like in the goblin camp there's like a there's like a restricted area near some traders where like if you go there, they'll give you a dialogue that's like, hey, you need to get out. And you have to make that choice that's like attack them or talk your way out or whatever, or just ask for forgiveness. And I would do that. But every time I did, it would just bring the thing up again. Like it wouldn't let me leave the area. They just kept saying like, you're not supposed to be here. You're not supposed to be here. You're not supposed to be here. And the only thing I could do was attack them and get the whole camp turned on me. So there's also like bugs like that that are very annoying. I think generally also, um, and this isn't new for a Larian game, this game is so deep that it does let you do so much, but by and large, you just have to kind of figure out that you're able to do these things, Mm -hmm. like the game, and it's because there's so fucking much in this game that it can't really tell you everything you can do, but it's like, this is a trial by fire where you have to learn that you can do things, like in the systems itself, like the game will never be able to tell you, like, you kind of have to figure out, oh, you know, when you're approaching a lot of situations, you should probably ungroup your group and like control people, you know, by themselves. Take advantage of entering turn-based mode before you go into combat. The game doesn't really teach you about that. Just random things because it's so like, it's so emergent the way this game is played that you can't assume that you can just teach. But it's like you can throw health potions on the ground to like heal people. So it's like, it's not necessarily necessarily Larian's fault because like you were saying it's just there's kind of just no way you could fix this problem almost because it's so complicated but it does you know reveal these problems yeah it's like it's fun to figure out those things when it's just a solution you wouldn't expect but -hmm. it's frustrating to have to figure them out when it's like a systems level thing like i literally did not know i could do this in the game as opposed to i didn't know this would work you know i didn't Mm -hmm. know this was an option I had available to me. And I think things like that are very frustrating. One of the things that, and this is kind of like different, this is more about the story itself. I've mentioned this to you before, and I think we're not going to have time in this episode. I'm going to hold on to my thought, but I just want to bring it up as like, I think this, the romance of this game has some cons more than what people have been talking about. And that's a tease for next time. But the thing I was going to say though, that I thought you were leading into with the story stuff is the sort of third category of problems I have here is the first category was it can't replicate tabletop games enough. Mm -hmm. The final category is it is still trying to replicate Dungeons and Dragons. And that brings with it just a whole fucking hornet's nest of issues. There's a lot of issues there on like the gameplay side about just how Dungeons and Dragons works that that's not really my concern the thing that makes me like this game much less because it's based in dungeons and dragons is the inherent like extremely problematic nature of dungeons and dragons it is 
So for it's like very Eurocentric kind of generic fantasy, which is like not in itself a, an issue. It's just not really what I like. Um, I've seen so much of that stuff and everybody has that it's kind of boring. It kind of feels like this same game with a more imaginative setting. I always I always go to Morrowind when I think about games that do this, where it's like it created its entirely own culture and system that like has basically no relation to like normal quote-unquote fantasy mm-hmm. but i think even more than that it's just the way that it deals with i actually saw somebody pointing out on that on that point uh an issue with the character creator that like we talked about how much how good it was last week but i thought it was worth bringing up and i'll try to find who actually said this but it is we were saying like it's a very limited character creator but the choices were like worked for us like they were you know they were good choices to make someone was pointing out like it is still a very like following that eurocentric thing like you have basically no choices to represent anyone who doesn't follow that model of like mm-hmm. European fantasy. I there's think like, I saw this tweet. Yeah. I think they were talking particularly about there's one like quote unquote like Asian looking like face default. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, that's not what I want to look like. But I do. Mm-hmm. And this is like, you know, someone would represent themselves and being like, that's not what I look like. And I don't get an option to like mess with that. Like that fucking sucks. And that does suck. And I think that's like worth bringing up that like while the limitations might have worked for us because we just wanted to be hot tieflings like if that's not your goal then like it does it runs into a lot of those problems with the setting yeah and i think it like does get at this problem that the story touches on because it is a D story of there's so much racism in it that's so yes. weird like every single character is racist in their own way the storyline right. has a lot of racist stuff and i was actually really thinking about this in context of larian because something i think is really cool about divinity original sin 2 is that they kind of approach this themselves in an interesting way outside of the context of DD because it's not set in that world but that whole game starts as like you are a sorcerer mm-hmm. which is in this world they're like people that are hated and literally all of them are sent to an island prison which is so great um and i think that game approaches like the idea of like this fantasy world that has aspects of like racism or more problems like in a more nuanced interesting way than they're able to in the confines of dnd yeah i mean it does get frustrating like we've uh we're t- we've talked before about like the like people are like really mad at Shadowheart being like super anti-gif and whatever which is true but it's also true that everybody in this fucking game is racist and it's it's a weird way because it's like when they say race they mean species and it's just like mm-hmm. all these different like weird sentient fantasy races so it like is very much more complicated than just being like she's a racist it still sucks though with any amount of caveats you want to give it it's really shitty when the like the people who you are running around with and like relying on and building these relationships are like i don't like that kind of person and they can get the fuck out like that sucks i have something to say about this but i can't because it's linked to romance so i'm just gonna hold on to it okay i'm so sorry um but even outside of your companions like the way that like the game itself deals with like goblins in particular it even comes up in knolls and it's like this is just the way that DD handles these things there are these like sentient groups of beings that are just inherently evil like in i am pre- i'm sh- they must have changed this language by now but they used to be referred to as monstrous races in DD, which like holy shit guys <laughs> and even like god you could get so deep into this like and point out gary G- gagex was like a raging anti-semite and like there's so much of that is baked into the game but even like setting up the history of it and just going with how larian deals with it it's like the idea that there are these like 
these races of creatures that are inherently less intelligent and less moral than the characters you are playing as and they are just basically like roving hordes of thieves like that fucking sucks like as much fun as i had in the section like the goblin camp section of the game it's because i was able to talk my way in and start like interacting with them as if they were like beings that deserved respect and like had intelligence but the way that the game presents them is as like i think the term you would have to apply is savages like Mm -hmm. which is of course a very like racist and awful term but it's like it is the way that this game is painting them because that's the way that D paints them that stuff is so distracting and it, it feels like 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 you said like larian has done better about that stuff but it's just like the D D thing just pulls it down to that level that's so unfortunate in the context of like something that i am more knowledgeable about because like i don't play too much D or anything is it always reminds me about the conversation around the beast tribes in final fantasy 14 which totally. have the same problem is this a good place to just dive into the to the quote-unquote discourse about this game yeah let's do that because there is another thing i want to touch on after the discourse i know after and the I'm discourse like, discourse i'm looking um, at that uh that audition yeah. While we're talking about our extremely valid uh, criticisms of <laughs> Baldur's Gate 3, let's dive you're into it some away. You're giving it away. Basically incomprehensible criticism. Oh, man. I don't. You, you, you take this. Oh, do fun. I have to? Yes. <laughs> okay. So the discourse of the week has been around. Oh, Christ alive. How do I even get into this? Last month, before Baldur's Gate 3 even came out, um, Celevier Nelson, who you may know as running uh, Strange Scaffold, uh, who's done like lots of cool indie shit. I think probably the best known would be Hypnospace Outlaw, at least best known to me. But, you know, that studio has done lots of wild stuff. Posted a thread on Twitter that was... It starts with, like a lot of people, I'm deeply excited about what the lovely folks at Larian accomplished with Baldur's Gate 3, but I want to gently preemptively push back against players taking that excitement and using it to apply criticism or a raised standard to RPGs going forward. And this goes on, it becomes a thread that's like explaining that kind of tension that's experiencing there. And basically saying that like, the thing you should not do is look at Baldur's Gate 3 and say, why can't every game be like this, you know, and use it as a bludgeon against other developers? Why doesn't your game do this? Why doesn't your game let me make these choices? Why isn't your game this big? When Larian is in an extremely specific position where it is a is a large studio with a track record of making this exact type of game very successfully before. So they have a group of people who have been working together on the same type of game with a tool set that is that is uh, designed to make this exact thing. It's a very different scenario from most studios with like we have to have like higher turnover and make very different types of projects and need to like rebuild a lot of things from the ground floor every time. It's also different in that they've been wildly successful. So they have funding. And on top of that, Wizards of the Coast, which is a division of Hasbro, is also granting the license for D&D, which ensures some amounts of success because people love D&D. And it's not to take anything away from Larian because what they did is still incredible. Plenty of people have made bad D&D games like the fucking... Um, God, what was the one from like last year? Oh God, was this a? It's like oh God. dark. It wasn't. It was. It was called Dungeons and Dragons Dark Alliance, I think, which was a 
sort of reboot of Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance, which were actually super fun games. Anyway, I'm getting way off track. The point is, this game was made under extremely specific circumstances that really tipped the scales in Larian's favor. And you shouldn't take that to mean that every game going for, like every RPG needs to live up to this, this quote unquote raised standard, as he says. In response to that, Destin Legary at IGN made a video, which you've probably seen. If you haven't seen it, you you should, and you should replicate oh, the out-of-body experience that I just had <laughs> earlier watching it. Uh, the video is called Baldur's Gate 3 is Causing Some Developers to Panic. This video is purportedly uh, a refutation of the this thread I'm talking about and saying that, no, actually, developers should hold themselves to higher standards and should be held to higher standards by consumers, which is a word that comes up uh, an upsetting number of times in the video. The problem with it is the points that are being made in the video have essentially no relation to what the actual thread was about. Like a lot of his points is that AAA is bloated. It, it, the studios re- rely too much on microtransactions and releasing buggy games that should be need to be fixed later. These are things that I agree with. Like mm-hmm. these are all problems with AAA. The problem is, again, bears no relation to the argument that he claims to be having. These are all completely disjointed points. Like the 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 thread from Slavir has nothing to do with microtransactions or even scope in the way that it's being discussed here. It's saying. Uh, actually, a point that I wanted to make, actually, is that in the video from IGN, Destin is pointing out other studios like, and that are also very large and saying, see, it's not Larian's size that insulates it. And they point to Bungie and like EA and these other studios that have so many more employees and basically makes the argument, that means you can't say Larian's succeeding because it's so large, because these studios are even larger. When, as is pointed out in a follow-up thread by, by Zlavier, it's like, once you get to that point you are not actually insulating yourself from risk. You are taking on more risk when you have thousands of people working for you. That means you need to make more money. That means you need to make a a way to use all of those people and to pay them for doing it, which becomes unbelievably expensive, which is part of why we have these microtransactions and DLC and predatory practices, because studios have gotten too large and too reliant on having this massive cash flow just to stay afloat. So for the past week, people have been losing their minds about this video and like rightfully pointing out how bonkers it is, like how it makes no sense. Yeah. So yeah, there's been this sort of two-sided discourse of some people responding to the video and how bizarre it is, and other people responding, I guess it's three-sided, other people responding to the original criticism, which is extremely valid, and other people responding to the fake version of the criticism that they think the video from IGN or that the video from IGN was saying existed but never did and mm-hmm. actually saying oh no developers should be worried about making their games better it's it's just become very bizarre this weird thing of like the thing that always happens which seems like people are jumping into the debate without reading the original thing that started it and i know you wanted to to talk a bit about this so i'm just curious like what's your your thoughts on this whole debacle I mean, I think it's one of those things, again, where it's like anytime there's big discourse, it's just so convoluted in these like multiple layers of understanding that it's always unfruitful. Um, One of the things that I actually want to point out as like an example of how weird it's gotten is I sent you this because it was this viral TikTok that went around Mm -hmm. that was basically this TikToker who was like, 
did you know that EA, Ubisoft, and Activision Blizzard are filing a $100 billion lawsuit against Alarian, claiming that Baldur's Gate 3 has like set players' expectations too high and that this is detrimental to the gaming industry because it's too good and they can't like meet those expectations of delivering a game that just works out of the box. And I think this is like has arisen this is first off completely bullshit mm -hmm. there's no lawsuit whatsoever and this is completely fake and it's really stupid but i think it's coming from the same place as the ign video and the like distortion of the original thread of this idea that like developers are scared that gamers are going to actually want quality games and i think there's so many weird layers to this um and I think it's a little like, I think there's two, like there's two takes that I have on it of, I think the original thread in a lot of ways also has to be taken from an understanding of who wrote it. Yes. And they're absolutely. an indie developer mostly. And I think this is a thing that a lot of people think about. I, th I think gamers by and large, like capital G gamers I think oftentimes they'll see like these discourse things and they'll try, they'll like think they're going to apply them to the industry going forward. And I think a lot of indie games can suffer from this. And I think that's one of the places this thread comes from of the idea that like, whoa, we need to like hold expectations back because like you were saying, the Larian is not like the reason Larian and Baldur's Gate 3 is an outlier is because they have had so much backing behind this to an extent that is like unnatural. So that's weird. Um, I think the IGN video is just so unhinged in the fact that I think that what as an, you know, trying to take it back and thinking if I was like an editor in the room, I think the issue that went wrong as an editor, editor hat on, mm -hmm. why is this video like 10 minutes long? <laughs> yes, I was watching it before we started and I just couldn't believe it was still going. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the issue because it keeps going so weird and out of like out of hand because like eventually Dustin Legary gets to a place where he's like, and look, if you put in the effort, you can do this. And it's not just Baldur's Gate. Look at other great games this year, like Checks Notes, Dead Space Remake and Resident Evil 4 Remake. Which I'm like, how is this at all the same? Also, yeah vampire survivors and yes, it's like he's pulling all these things that make no sense to me but like trying to cut through the crap of it all and like trying to give the best reading to everything if i was to try to like kindly try to see what the point of destin legary's video is it is an attempt to take like to apply this to large large AAA companies which the issue is is that the original twitter thread is not from somebody who yes. is in that wheelhouse but like i think you could try to make an argument that you know there's a comparison to be made against certain massive companies like blizzard with diablo 4 where it's like there's something interesting about comparing how these games were made or how they're you know accepted and like how maybe AAA gaming has become stagnant in some manners. Like, we are by no means AAA lovers. Like, we are constantly criticizing mm -hmm. how AAA gaming has been like this. But there's also a misguided hatred towards this, where it's like, I think oftentimes people don't know the industry so well. So you just say developers, or you say like the people making these games. And the issue isn't really that it's the people making the games. It's the 
corporations behind them. It's like it's Bobby Kotick you have to be fucking mad at. It's not it's not, you know, the guy who's like making the asset for an axe in Diablo 4 who's like, what if I charge 20 bucks for this to like line my pockets? So it's like I think there's just so much misunderstanding going on here. And I think this has happened to a similar extent with Elden Ring, um, where mm-hmm. Elden Ring and like Breath of the Wild, they made everybody be like, get fucked Ubisoft. Ubisoft needs to get off their fucking ass and like start making good games. Like we're so tired of checklist open worlds. Ubisoft is lazy and their devs are lazy. And look what happens if you actually try to make a good game. You get Elden Ring which is like so stupid in itself because n- mm-hmm. none of these conversations are coming from a place of like understanding the complicated like ways games are made on of just like a technical level, a corporate level of like how the money works, just all this stuff. And I think everything is just misconstruing also the original Twitter throne. Yeah. Which like there's some great things that you like sent me that kind of talk about this. Um, like uh, like Gareth Damien Martin talked about this, which was interesting. Yeah. Like to that point, I think it's very crucial to remember that the original thread was written by a studio head who understands the finances and is like speaking directly to working conditions and the video was made by a journalist who doesn't have firsthand knowledge of that stuff and is also not even addressing like i said like we all said we agree with some of the points made about the like excesses of triple a but we come at that from a perspective of it's holding the art form back and it's like terrible for workers who are making games. The perspective of the video is like a consumer rights thing. Yeah. It's like a this is bad because it's costing you money type thing, which is just an argument that's like not gonna hold any water for me generally. The Gareth Damian Martin thing I sent you, it, it's actually very funny because like even before I had like seen the video, I just kind of heard discourse about this, about people saying, oh, you know, developers should be worried because of the scope of Baldur's Gate 3. And the thing that I thought was like, I'm really enjoying Baldur's Gate 3, but I've seen nothing in it so far that has like 1% of the emotional depth of Citizen Sleeper, mm-hmm. like which is a game with a, you know, almost infinitely smaller team and budget and expectations and all of that stuff. But it's trying very different things and it succeeds to a level that Baldur's Gate 3 hasn't even come close to for me yet and so i thought it was very funny then when yesterday gareth damian martin the developer of citizen sleeper uh, also posted a very short thread on this whole discourse uh which begins as a solo developer whose game was nominated alongside elden ring world of warcraft and xenoblade for best rpg at the dice awards i promise you do not need to be intimidated by Baldur's gate 3 especially if you are making an rpg uh and they go on to say basically like the thing you don't need to do to make a good rpg is to make it at the scope and scale of Baldur's Gate 3, the thing you need to do is find out what that thing is that you're getting to, what is that experience you want to get, and like hone in on that. Not every game developer is trying to make a game as massive as Baldur's Gate 3, and there is so much room, there is so much room in the world for smaller games that like are not trying to do that stuff, that want to do very different things with you and like make you feel very different things and and give you very different experiences and i think that's like that's a point that was made in the original thread as well which is just like if you're an indie developer none of this has any relevance Mm -hmm. to you the 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 goals and the 
the world in which you are working uh, as an indie developer are so different from those of AAA that like even the idea that you could take lessons from them is absurd on its face. And like, you know, as a consumer, I don't want every game to be Baldur's Gate 3. No. Like you would never get I would die. I would yeah. I would not have time to eat anymore. Like I still never finished Divinity Original Sin 2. No, I haven't. And I m- might not finish Baldur's Gate 3. No. I and, don't think there's any way that I finish yeah. it. Yeah. And it's like I'm really enjoying it, but like god, I could not imagine if every RPG was this way. Mm-hmm. I would lose my mind. Yeah. And I think it's like I think it's a short-sighted criticism because I also think like kind of on what you were saying, it essentially takes one game that is great and an outlier and it says everything should be that. And I'm like, that's just as stifling as what we have now. Like that's just as boring as saying everything should just be this other one type of thing. Mm -hmm. Like if everything's one type of thing now and that sucks, you just want it to be all a different one type of thing. And I'm like, let games just be different. It's fucking fine. Like, chill yeah. out. We don't need a million Baldur's Gate 3s. And also, they would never exist. <laughs> They're never right. going to exist. Chill the fuck out. Yeah. So, following up on that, that does bring me to something I, I was thinking about a bit this week, which is uh, a few weeks ago when Final Fantasy 16 came out, we had a big discussion about how kind of the scope and spectacle of games like Final Fantasy 16 affords them a kind of, I don't know, critical leeway that other games don't get. Like it is so big and looks so flashy and and all of that stuff and is built on like this brand of Final Fantasy that critics kind of turn off the part of their brain that makes them like look for imperfections in the way that they might in a smaller game. So I want to kind of like Turn that around Ooh, on us because we're interesting. Both, we are both enjoying this game a hell of a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of the things that we're liking about it are because of the kind of scope and scale of the game. So I'm going to ask you, like, to what extent do you think those things are working on us? Like, how much are we being hypocrites right now? Because we love this game. And the part of the reason we love it is because it is so big and accounts for so many choices like that Mm -hmm. is an issue of scope it's a very different way of final fantasy 16 and i would argue a more i would say creatively fulfilling way to approach scope but it's still essentially doing that same thing yeah i think no i think you're absolutely i think you're getting at something very true which is i think this is maybe equally as mesmerizing in a Mm -hmm. different way and like obfuscates some like a lot of criticisms in itself because it's a different kind of scope and scale and like, you know, shock and awe. But I think it's still that like mm-hmm. I I said this, you know, about Final Fantasy 16, how I think there was no way that game was not going to get like nines and tens. And I feel similar about Baldur's Gate 3. That like, absolutely applies. And I think it's this perception of and I don't know how this happened or why this is. There's a perception of Baldur's Gate 3 in a weird way of being kind of like almost like an underdog like it's a disruptor yeah i think that's super flawed and it's a narrative that is weird and i think this kind of goes to the thing that we were just talking about about the discourse about this game of being so good that other developers are like worried quote unquote which is as we discussed stupid but like 
I think this game has so much backing behind it and has had so much backing behind it for so many years that like, I don't think there was a way this game was going to come out bad. And so inherently, I think people are going to see this as like a top tier game. And like, I'm not obviously reviewing this game, but it's like, I do think this game has what it's trying to do. I think it is more successful at than what then Final Fantasy 16 is successful at doing what that game wanted to be. Mm -hmm. So to that extent, I think this game is more successful, but I think it's equally as criticism bulletproof. I do think I, I think that's equally the case for this game. I mean, that, that comes with being a like a and d product partially as well. Uh, people are going to want to like it. It is also like this is a type of game that isn't made very often anymore, um, which also gives it some of that that charge of like, I think maybe that's kind of where the underdog thing comes from, because these kind of games aren't made very much. The Baldur's Gate series was basically abandoned for a long time. But yeah, as to the underdog thing, I actually do want to I should have brought this up earlier. Another very important part of the discussion of why Baldur's Gate 3 can't be an example for other developers or, or like held in comparison to other AAA games, Larian Studios is a privately held company. So they have, and I've seen this pointed out elsewhere. I'll again try to find the source for it. This isn't like my 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 genius original idea or anything, but the responsibilities they have to shareholders are very different, which means they don't have to be caught in that trap of infinite growth that destroys uh the world under capitalism. And so the the sort of financial risks that they take on are, are very different from other companies um and i think that might also feed into that underdog thing because it is not a company it's one of the three big developers that is not now owned by like embracer group or whatever but yeah i don't know i, th I think that's something that's very worth i think it's a, something that's more worth considering when it's a game that you like mm -hmm. like it's easy it was easy for us to look at final fantasy 16 and say here are all the problems, scope and skeptic spectacle, and everyone was getting mesmerized because it didn't look like the kind of game we wanted to play. But this is a game that I have probably played like 24 hours of now in the past week. I think that makes it even more crucial to look at it and say, like, would I forgive these problems in another game that didn't have this kind of shimmery scope and scale to it? And I think the answer is probably no. Like, Absolutely. to a large extent, if I was playing you know a different game that had this much the, the plot hinged so much on like racism and like devaluing entire like groups of sentient beings like i would be like well fuck this but i think for some reason like there is a part of it that's like well that's just kind of what you have to slog through to be able mm -hmm. to enjoy the the parts of this game i think there is something a little different here as well also because there are not other games offering this like same kind of experience. Like it is a very unique game. Whereas when we look at Final Fantasy 16, we see how we talked about how much it was emulating other games, other successful games, and just trying to make that again. I think this is doing something that is very needed, uh, like from a from a big game like this. But that still doesn't excuse it. Like that still doesn't make it perfect. I think there's some interesting layers here to what you're talking about, which is both of these games have a lot of problems with race and racism. Mm -hmm. I think there's there's something interesting to the aspect of Baldur's Gate 3 where it's like, well, Baldur's Gate 3 is existing with an a already created universe. So there's mm -hmm. I think this is not an accurate thing, but it's like, oh, well, they're already they exist in it. So like they didn't build this world. They're not at fault 
Whereas there's the idea with Final Fantasy 16 of like, they built this from scratch. They chose to make this world and make this racism a problem. I think Baldur's Gate 3 still holds like yeah. some, they need they needed to change it. I think there's also an interesting uh, comparison where what you just said about like, there's not games like this, which is a, you know, a broad statement. And I, I know, you know, that's not fully true, but it's like, I think there's a, another interesting comparison where it's like Final Fantasy 16 essentially built itself off of Final Fantasy 14 success, where so much of that game, I think, relied on being it's Naoki Yoshida. We're basically taking the team that saved Final Fantasy and saved Final Fantasy 14, and we're going to make them do it again. Um, and then also being an action game, it's like a lot of what made Final Fantasy 16 exciting was that they built on previous success that has was like sh was shown to work almost. Mm -hmm. And with Baldur's Gate 3, I think there's an element of that because Larian is already responsible and has shown a proven track record for showing that these games still have an audience and can be incredible like they're responsible for bringing back this kind of genre because they did divinity original sin which was a very well-received game they did divinity original sin 2 which is even more well-received game that is so critically acclaimed and some and people are constantly like this is one of the best rpgs in recent memory and the already shown success of that is why they were able to make Baldur's Gate 3, because it was essentially like Wizards of the Coast was like, oh, we know you're going to do it. We mm -hmm. this isn't like this isn't a question, really. So it's like both of them. Exist because they knew that they were just going to be successful. There wasn't really a question. And, yeah. you know, as to the idea of this like genre this is obviously not a genre that is as popular as like a third person action game like Final Fantasy 16, but um, this has been gaining more popularity like in recent years. Mainly, I would say Divinity and uh, Pillars of Eternity. And uh, it's a little different, but Disco Elysium is it's it's like a twist on the traditional like CRPG, totally. but it's in the same genre. So it's like, I think both of them are still building off of proven success, even if we're seeing Baldur's Gate 3 as a, more of an underdog, because we also, despite it being from Wizards of the Coast, I think most people just say it's the Larian game. And that kind of like erases the idea of a major corporation with its hands in it. Whereas with Final Fantasy 16, we're like, well, it's Square Enix. And we fucking hate those guys. But it's like, yeah. So I think this, I really like this question, though. This is great. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really thorny issue. Like, and I think it illustrates, I don't know, something that maybe didn't come up as much in the Final Fantasy discussion, because, again, it's like a game that we weren't excited for. But like, being aware of those things doesn't mean you can't enjoy games. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean you have to think that the people who play those games are bad, which I think is like a very very on very twitter kind of reaction like when you make statements like this game would not have scored as well if it weren't for scope and spectacle and expectation people are like oh so you hate the game now and you think everyone who plays it is a moron it's like no you just i, I think your job as a critic is to like take those things into account and, and look at the ways in which your biases are affecting your uh, your enjoyment of a game and as like a casual player, you don't have any obligation to do that. Like you can like whatever you like, but I think it will serve you better if you still keep that in mind, because it will point you in the direction of like 
what is actually working for this about me? Even if you love Final Fantasy 16, it's worth saying, what about this is working that is not just like the, the blinding spectacle of it? Like, what about this can I find elsewhere? And what is not working about this that I can find and like fill that gap in? And I think that's worth doing in Baldur's Gate 3 as well. Like, as much as we're enjoying it, I don't want to play into the game that's exactly like Baldur's Gate 3. I want to look at the things that are working and go like, oh, that's the thing that works well for me. I would like to see more of that and then seek it out, you know? Mm-hmm. I will also say, since we had since we mentioning Square Enix as well, everyone this week has been talking about what lessons developers need to take from the success of Baldur's Gate 3. There was also a thing that came out the other week that was uh, Square Enix was saying they, they're going to focus more on AAA games and like not do so much experimentation with small little projects. And da, da, da. So I think the real lesson to be taken away from the success of Baldur's Gate 3, a turn-based strategy game set in a fantasy world, is that it's time for Square Enix to make another AAA Final Fantasy Tactics. Do it. Square Enix for us. You know what? Please. Just and also put um hot tieflings in it. I mean, if you yeah. Can find a way to feed them in. Just play other. Yeah, I mean, play other Square Enix games. Play Octopath Traveler too. I haven't played that yet. It's a great game. It's not. I mean, it's not like a tactics, but it's turn based combat. It's really fucking good. Good. Anyways. Um, Anyways. This, wow, this, this is, is so. This long. is going to be our longest episode ever, I think. And we only reached two-thirds of what we were going I to know. talk about i think we should just talk about what else we've been doing this week and yeah we've got get out of we're, here. Gonna, we're definitely going to talk about this game again more <laughs> later so literally next episode get out while we can so other than pulling for kafka and other than pulling for Carlac, what else have you been up to this week willa so i could talk about what i am going to talk about for like another 30 minutes and i thought i would have more time so i'm just going to oh, make God. this really quick because I have no self-control, I re-downloaded Overwatch 2 again Mm -hmm. because the new patch uh, came out, which is Overwatch 2 Invasion, which basically this is the biggest patch the game has seen since it launched. It has new story missions. It has like a lot of new progression stuff. It had the biggest amount of nerfs and buffs uh, that the game has seen since Overwatch 2 launched. Um, I played some of it. I it's complicated. I'm going to keep this short because like obviously we're going way too fucking long, but my my takeaway from this is basically that Overwatch 2 Invasion is everything that Overwatch 2 should have been at launch because oh. it has meaningfully evolved from the original Overwatch. Like story missions are here. They went through and did a bunch of buffs and nerfs. They have a new interesting progression system. They have several new game modes that some of them are like really interesting. Um, they've done a lot and it's like really meaningful. There's another new hero and it's like whether these things are fully realized or not is like another thing entirely. But this is like a lot more meaningful content that the original Overwatch didn't have and that Overwatch 2 at launch didn't have, even though it was promised. My, the you know, the but that is obviously coming is that This is the game Overwatch 2 should have been at launch, but it's still not enough. And I feel like I say this every time that they say something about this game. They like bring something new to this game, but I really mean it here. It's hard not to see this as like a last ditch effort. It feels like they know that this game has failed because they've kind of shot themselves in the foot like a million times. And this is like a major push to try to get people back. And 
I don't know if it's going to work. I think Overwatch 2 is going to be a slow death. Like, yeah. but I think this is kind of it. Our, our Your former boss, my boss, Jen, we were talking about this and she said, Overwatch 2 is the anti No Man's Sky <laughs> in that oh. it's... It's a game that the original because so <laughs> No Man's Sky <laughs> launched in such a terrible state. And then over the years, it's become a great experience that fixed itself and has a great community. Mm-hmm. Whereas Overwatch launched in such a good state when it first like the original iteration launched. And it was so amazing. Great community. So perfect. And ever since then, it's just been getting Damn. worse. Jen fucking always hits the mark. She really does. <laughs> this is the thing you need to know about her. Love Jen. Uh, wow. Uh, but yeah, so what have you been up to? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked to hear that you think that it's like working well. That's that's interesting. I, I might want to give it a shot, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, I've been like, literally, my entire <laughs> week has been unpacking, working, and now playing Baldur's Gate 3. So I've done nothing else. Uh, the only other thing I've done all week is basically looking at all of the amazing Kafka and now Karlak fan art that's coming out on Twitter. So all I've got to say is fucking keep it up. You're, <laughs> you're, you're giving me life. All of the fan artists mm-hmm. out there. Uh, if you need some examples, just go to either Robin or Mai's Twitter and just look at our likes. Look at our likes. It's a... Uh, we have nothing to hide anymore. It's It's all out there. You know exactly what we like. But yeah, that's all. That's literally all I've been doing. It's like <laughs> being being at work and just like looking at amazing fan art. Love and respect to all of you perverts out there. But yeah, that's that's gonna do it. I think for us that really I've not been doing anything else this week. Neat. So I mean, I know we kept it short this week, but I guess that's gonna. <laughs> I guess that's gonna do it for us. Uh, until next time, you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us on various social medias that we'll include links to. Uh, you can find me on those social medias at Robin Bombas. And I'm at the Willow Row on most socials. And uh, tell your friends. You used to say this. You used to have a way. You oh my used God. to do a thing I, at the end of every episode. I forgot I to do this. Tell your friends. Leave reviews. Yeah. Uh, uh, review us everywhere. Um, name your Baldur's Gate 3 character girl mode. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Do something. Tell your tell your friend that you're playing Baldur's Gate with that you should listen yeah. to Girl Mode while you're playing Baldur's Gate. Yeah. Carlac would love we, we appreciate it. I like to think Carlac would love Girl Mode. Yeah. And tell us if you pull Kafka and Himiko at the same time. Yeah, that's seriously. Very funny. That's amazing. We have we have such power, clearly. Yeah. Okay. We, we should love we should we've only used it for good so far. We should fucking get out of here. We gotta get out of here. I, I need a nap. I need to save this file before it takes my entire hard drive. Have a good week. So when you haven't been pulling for Kafka. Ooh, I was made of. <laughs> I've been pulling for transition. No, okay. illegal. Okay. Um. Fuck. That's all I want to say now. Do it. This is for the archives. This is Patreon content. Okay. Um. This is OnlyFans content. <laughs> so when you haven't been pulling for Kafka.